Hey friends, it's Quinn. Uh, real fast before we start this week's episode of Known, just want to invite you into a new resource that we've created at Humble Daily called Humble Daily Audio Devotionals. You can go to the show notes and click the link or you can look up Humble Daily Devotionals anywhere that you listen to podcasts. What we've done is that we've seen kind of the traction that audio is taking over in our world. People aren't reading as much as they're listening, and our goal has always been to seek to equip you guys so that you can have life-changing, gospel-centered conversations. And so what we're doing is we're audio recording all of our devotionals as an audiobook format to truly invite you into the story. Sometimes when you listen to things like Known, it feels like you're a person sitting at a table listening to other people have a conversation. And what we want to do is make it feel as if you're sitting down, heeding advice from wise people, not just us at Humble Daily, but special guests that we're going to invite in. So we're really excited for this, guys. Go subscribe. Check it out. Humble Daily Devotionals, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We love you guys. Let's get to the episode. Hey, what's up, friends? I hope you're doing so well today. Welcome back to another episode of Known. If you're new with us here, Known is a podcast where we sit down with individuals to talk about the battles and burdens that they faced in their lives and are still currently facing that are shaping them into all that God has called them to be. My name's Quinn, and I'm part of a company called Humble Daily, where we just seek to promote humility in a world seemingly increasingly fueled by pride. And so we're just encouraged to be able to put a podcast out there that can truly help individuals and step into their lives in any capacity that it can to minister and point to Christ. So we're grateful for your presence here. We're so thankful for that. Our prayers that this will be an encouragement to you and that will help you in your life as you move forward and you continue to do all that God has called you to do. Before we get started today, I just want to sit down and take a moment to thank the people that make this podcast possible, this season possible. That's New Ethics Formulations. Uh, they're a supplement company that we're just so encouraged by that I personally work with and am personally sponsored by. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't link myself to them if I didn't believe in their products. And we definitely wouldn't link Humble Daily to them if we didn't believe in their products. Uh, and they stand on the pillars of honesty, integrity, truth, and transparency. Transparency, uh, which continues just to be a fleeting characteristic of the supplement industry. And so we're just so encouraged by them. And you can use code KNOWN, that's K-N-O-W-N, to get 15% off of your next purchase at newethics.com. Head down to the link in the show notes and you can click there and you can go to New Ethics from that link and find anything you want. Uh, some of the best, most clean and most honest supplements on the market. So we're so grateful for them and what they're doing. Guys, I'm super excited for today. Uh, sat down with a buddy of mine from Dallas named Grant Skeldon, and we're just super encouraged. Um, super encouraged by him, super encouraged by what he's doing. Again, I just want to make mention of the fact that most of these episodes are pre-recorded, guys. Being in med school, I don't have the time to sit down every week and chat through some of these things with people, and so it takes time to produce these podcasts and put them out, so we pre-record a lot of them so that we can get them out and really create a resource for you. But with all that being said, the fact that Grant didn't mention some of the things that are happening in our world today or that have transpired in the last few months uh, is not an indictment on him. It's not because he doesn't care about it. In fact, he's one of the leading voices in a lot of those things, but rather they just hadn't occurred yet. And so that's why we hadn't spoken about them. So I don't want you to write Grant off or write Humble Daily off or any of those things. Uh, but just want to be really honest, upfront, and transparent with you guys as we move towards that. But hey, guys, without further ado, let's get to the show. How are you doing today, Grant? Pretty good. It's a it's a gloomy Memorial Day. Yeah. <laughs> what are you uh, What have you been up to? Obviously, um, other than the quarantine crap that none of us want to talk about, but. I mean, the three big things that I'm usually doing uh, are one, two, one spiritual, two or not. And (laughs) arguably the other two could be, I guess. One, the good one is um, definitely trying to read more books. uh, But specifically, uh, there's a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Hmm. Pete Scazzaro or Emotional Healthy Leader. And it just talks about like how the value and the art of fasting, Sabbathing, pausing, like, Uh, They even practice what's called daily office, like Mm -hmm. to two times a day to like pause and just listen to God for like two minutes silence and uh, journal, just things that I I don't feel like our generation always uh, gets at a young age is like Sabbathing, fasting, uh, praying, journaling, all that kind of stuff. And so this book is like, yeah, just developing a practice of daily office or time with God. Hmm. Uh, That's the spiritual one. Now, (laughs) no, the two are not (laughs) the spiritual Uh, so I'm getting my KD up as I defend our country on Call of Duty. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I also, so I do do a lot of that right now. Uh, I do it with a lot of my friends, but we are stuck. Um, and then s- we actually have three PlayStation or PS4s okay. in this one room right here um, <laughs> and three TVs. And so uh, it's community. And then three, I, a uh, spike ball. Um, just oh, trying to man. find something 
active that I can keep. I like to run every now and then, but we love playing spike ball. And so, uh, we, as you can see, we have a huge backyard. And so we just, uh, started playing two, two at a time. So we'll sometimes have, uh, yeah, winners and losers and whoever wins gets to play each other. But, uh, yeah, learning how to play spike ball more and more, which has been really cool. It's yeah. definitely like our after five o'clock when we're done with work, we, we tend to play a lot. Huh. It's such a fun game. It's such an underrated game. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think many people have played it or know about it. You you are right. I took it just now to my family's house yesterday and none of them had even seen it before, let alone like heard of it. It gets intense too. Yeah. Like, when you get going with people. That's awesome, man. So yeah. tell me more about, I like that, the daily office, like the, the mindset that that puts it in of mm-hmm. like, hey, like it's a scheduled appointment with Christ almost. Yeah. Um, tell me more about that. Well, so it's basically right now, the book is a devotional. Um, it's, I think the book's called Daily Office by him. Uh, but it's like basically a devotional um, reading through scripture and then just giving two minutes of silence and really trying to meditate on what did God tell you or what is he trying to say to you? But it's really listening. Um, I definitely realized by doing that how much I pray, I feel like all the time, but I do talk to him probably more than I give him time to talk to me. Mm -hmm. And this is strictly in that two minutes is just listen to what, what do you have to say? Like uh, he would even encourage to have a phrase like, um, I think his is, I'm here, Lord, Hmm. Uh, please speak. Uh, So if something about doing that is like, I'm here, Lord, please speak. Hmm. And it's giving two minutes to to hear him. And that's in the morning. And then for me, I think I have it like 2, 2.30 is to try to do that again. Gotcha. Did two minutes feel like an eternity at first? Like, did your mind Yeah, and and he says, and he talks about how it's, you can beat yourself up because you start thinking of other things. But the reality is like, that's okay. Like you... Just keep doing it and keep getting used to it. But uh, I don't know, man. I think I was actually surprised how quickly you can start to kind of sense God speaking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know about you, but every time I read the Bible, and there's been seasons in my life where it's like so easy. I wake up, it's the first thing I want to do. And there's been seasons in my life where it's not what I want to do. And then there's been seasons where it's like I know it's what I should do, but I sometimes do it, sometimes don't. Yeah. Um, but I've never read the Bible and thought, man, that was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I almost always read the Bible especially if I read the Bible and then journal, like talk to God about what I'm receiving from it. Um, where I've thought, man, if I did this more, it would change who I am. It would change the trajectory of my life. And the same applies to when I give that time. And I've only done, I don't want to act like I've done it all the time. It just started doing it. Um, but when I do that and give that time to God to listen specifically, um, I do feel like, wow, this is, it never been a waste of time. It's more one of the more powerful two minutes of my day each day. Hmm. That's awesome. So what else does like your time with God entail right now? Like, what does that look like to you? Dude? I mean, I'll be honest. That's not, there's not a lot of time with God. Like that's been a struggle for me in this quarantine. I mean, I think what I I know we kind of talked about what to talk about is I wanted to talk to you about like physical health. Um, I think what I'm realizing how much emotional health, spiritual health and physical health, do tied together. Hmm. And so, um, for me that actually all three of those have been, especially in light of the quarantine have been on the rocks a bit, uh, pre pre quarantine. It was so much travel, so much going. It's almost like you come home, you've been on the road a lot. The last thing I want to do is clean my room, get a car inspection, get <laughs> my car cleaned, all these chores, if you will. Um, I just want to like chill. And so even more so, um, when there's a quarantine and it almost feels like a break, but yeah. now it's not a break anymore. It's very clear that this is, um, uh, maybe not the new normal, but it is not going away anytime soon. And so, um, that's, I think just become a priority of what does the new rhythms for my life, especially I just turned 30. So it's mm-hmm. like, um, what does the new rhythm to who I want to be in my thirties look like to have time with God? And so, uh, I'm taking baby steps. I'll be honest with you. Like, no, um, I just, and a big part of it is I need community. Like some guys and some girls can just do certain disciplines just cause they decide, Hey, I'm not going to eat sugar anymore, or I'm going to work out three times a week, or mm-hmm. I'm going to read the Bible every day for this much time. And then I'm a journal every day and they don't need any accountability. They just, I don't know. They got this willpower in them. Um, but by and large, most people I found need accountability, community, a a training partner, um, someone that's like locking arms with them. And, uh, for me, I tend to line up more there. And so, uh, for me, it's starting to organize my own group of guys that Mm -hmm. I trust and we trust each other. And, uh, they, 
they're not impressed by me, but they encourage me. Um, but they also can hold me accountable. And just, uh, we met up last, this Friday night, last, last Friday right. night and just, uh, starting to meet up Mondays. And so just a small group, cause I know it's still quarantine, but getting us together is really big for me. It's just mm-hmm. having a group that you can have fun with, but also be honest with. Hmm. That's awesome. So for some reason that reminds me of a story you told me, like one of the first times we met, um, about how you kind of came into relationship with one of your mentors and yeah. the, the story about waking up and running. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you tell that story? I think that that impacted me a lot just in like your view of discipleship is like, don't, don't add an hour to your day to sit down with coffee to me. It's include me in an hour of your day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And for anyone young that's listening, I, I'm a huge proponent for, uh, you should not just hang out people in your own generation. Or if you don't hang out with people that are 10, 20 years older than you, regularly then it's going to impact the the life that you have and the values you have because i liken it to lord of the flies when Mm -hmm. just kids are raising kids and they're stuck on an island yeah um and so for me though what and you probably have seen this as well is it's hard to get older people to invest or find or specifically carve out time for you because they're so busy with their family their kids their full-time job their own personal life and hobbies and so what I do is I try to tell young people, you need to trick older people into discipling <laughs> you, especially older leaders, because leaders, especially successful ones, are busy. They just, they're not looking for more things to do or more things to add to their calendar. Like us, they're already busy. And so um, for my guy, Raymond is his name, what I found out was in his personal life, and I would always suggest if you see someone you want to emulate or be like, um, that maybe it's something in their character or something in their like, skill set or in their career, um, find out what do they like to do? Like what's their personal hobbies, if you will, they, they really enjoy. And for Raymond, unfortunately it was running and <laughs> jogging <laughs> and he liked to run early in the morning uh, or just run marathons or half marathons. And as you guys know, those guys love waking up at like too early in the morning to do yeah. that <laughs> and practice for that. And then post on Instagram or whatever about how much they ran that day. Um, and so well, I asked this guy and I told him, Hey, I want to get into running. Uh, I'd love to get some time with you because it took about six months to get a meeting with him. He's just a busy guy, mm-hmm. very, very successful in, in with architecture for Walmart and other businesses. And so um, I said, I'd love to, my whole idea of mentorship and discipleship is mentorship is uh, if Jesus said, come and meet with me. So it's finding a time once a week, once a month mm-hmm. with them. But discipleship isn't come and meet with me. It's come and follow me. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, it's not adding uh, something to your calendar. It's including someone in your calendar. So I was trying to figure out how can I get included in this guy's calendar and how can I find something he likes to do so he doesn't have to change his life. He just has to consider including me in that part of his life. Hmm. And for him, it was running. And so when I asked him, hey, could you, would you be down to let me run with you every now and then? Um, he said, if you're serious, then come run with me uh, tomorrow. I was like, absolutely. He said, okay, meet me at four tomorrow if you're serious. And so four o'clock, I was like, I was hoping it was going to be like six. I still think that's early, but <laughs> I was like at least six, but four o'clock. I just, it really is. I, I know people are disciplined. You come off like a disciplined yeah. guy. So maybe you do I, do that. But to <laughs> I me, am the other, I am the other side. Yeah, side I could totally decides. see that. But to me, I don't know how anyone puts the number three, anytime, three <laughs> o'clock. Three, I don't care if it's 359. That's still weird to put yeah. as an alarm clock. But I do. I put 3.45 so I can get like five minutes to get ready. And luckily, he, his office, or I lived close to downtown at the time where his office was. So I get there at 4 o'clock. And I'd love to say it was one of the best stories. And we learned so much. And I grew a lot. But the reality is this: the dude didn't even show up um, <laughs> at all. He, he didn't show up at 4. He didn't show up at 5. He didn't show up at 6. And I left around that time. And around 7.30, 8 o'clock when normal people wake up, he texts me. And said, I'm so sorry. I actually meant um, 4 p.m., not 4 a.m. <laughs> and um, yeah, just the irony was one. I, I had had that happen enough times where they think they're going to. I don't know. Basically, I thought, you know what? I'm actually glad he didn't show up. And I'm glad I did show up because now he knows, one, I'm serious about this. Two, I keep my word. And three, like if I'm willing to show up at 4 a.m., then how much more would I show up to anything and whenever he wants yeah. me to be there? And he gets to see the, the level of hunger I have to learn from him and honor I have to, if he tells me, hey, show up tomorrow at four, I'm, I'm like, okay, no, no like yeah. complaints. I just, all right, I'll do it. And so as a lot of people say, so much of life is showing up. And I think so much of life is showing up and keeping your word. Like even when they're surprised, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times when someone sees me show up to something 
whether it's two weeks from then, um, but truly putting it in my calendar and saying, hey, I'll be there. And them not even following up and me saying, hey, I told you two weeks ago or yeah. a month ago or yesterday I, I was going to come. I've had so many times where they were like, wow, I didn't think you were going to show up. Well, that's already giving an advantage to other mm. young people in their life is this person's a little different. And I always think we, I know there's a lot of negative talk about our generation, but that's a positive, I think, for us if you're a leader um, and if you have hunger is the lower the bar or the ba- the worse the stereotypes, the mm. better it is for us because that means they're lowering the bar with every stereotype and every thing that they say about us. That means, I, I always say, you just have to be good to look great. Yeah. Now, if you could actually be great, like you truly are greatly disciplined, greatly hungry, uh, have a huge amount of um, honor, you're going to look incredible. You're going to look like, oh, so set apart. And so hmm. um, anyway, the, the lower the bar, the better it is for us, as long as we're willing to truly be different um there's more opportunity more mentors more resources connections all that for Mm -hmm. young leaders so i think there's two pieces of that too of like like i've found exactly like you said it's really hard to get older people to want to spend time Mm -hmm. with people and maybe want isn't the right word um or maybe to make time but i've even come across a lot of uh people who i would seek wisdom from that don't feel like they have wisdom to give so they're Uh not opening up time to sit down with people so i think that's twofold of like for our generation, it's like, hey, show up, ask and talk. And for the older generation, if anyone's listening from that generation, it's like, be willing to open your schedule a little bit to allow someone to walk yeah. with you through something. Yeah. Um, what is that? So, like, let's backtrack a little bit, Grant. For for people who maybe don't know you, like, what what are you known for? I guess you're an author, you're a speaker, but like, like the millennial generation has kind of put its stamp on the people have put the millennial stamp on you, kind of in yeah. a lot of ways. Uh, there's really two things that I do and I'm probably known for maybe three, uh, probably two. One is if it depends on who you are, if you're older, um, you, that tend to be known for helping older people understand young people. <laughs> um, and so it'll be like pastors that are trying to reach the next generation, parents that are trying to raise the next generation or business leaders that are trying to like, uh, that are employing or retaining the next generation. Uh, and then if you're younger, I am more known to speak to, uh, I'm more of a gatherer and convener of Christian leaders. Um, I, that's kind of partly how we met is I have a huge appreciation for any Christian that doesn't just think be, if you ha- are a Christian, you have to be a pastor to love God. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think, I mean, ironically, God through the flesh, like through Jesus Christ chose no pastors to be his, his yeah. followers or his 12. He picked all people in culture, whether they're in politics, whether they're tax collectors, whether they're in the marketplace, fishermen, whatever, he picks all these different people. Um, and so for me, I have a huge heart for how do you find Christians that are living out their faith in their workplace or in their uh, sphere of influence? Whether, mm-hmm. And especially if it's a professional athlete or a musician or an author yeah. or a YouTube personality or an actor or an actress, whatever it may be. Um, I love that God actually does want us to live out our faith in those all those areas, but sometimes we make Christianity like the only way to truly love God to the fullest degree is to be a pastor, a missionary, or a worship leader. Hmm. And those are great positions. And I do recruit and convene leaders like that as well. Uh, but I want unity in the body of faith through the various different forms that God has uh, called us to live out our faith. And so um, I mostly do retreats for young hmm. leaders just to give them a place to rest and to be poured into because there's a very old saying that leadership is lonely um, but I think leadership for young leaders is even lonelier because we're growing up in a culture that criticizes young mm-hmm. people. And um, there's not a lot of young leaders. There's a lot of young, like, I don't know. There's a lot of, honestly, a lot of young wannabe leaders and uh, <laughs> a lot of young entrepreneurs that don't actually have a job. Uh, <laughs> but there's not a lot of actual young leaders that run businesses, organizations, uh, are excelling. And so to give them a community where they can get poured into, especially if they're Christian, where that may, I mean, if you're in Hollywood, uh, some of your values and their values may not line up. And so mm-hmm. um, how to kindly, uh, without compromise, uh, and confidently live out your faith in certain spheres can be difficult. And so um, I love to give those people a place or a tribe or a family, if you will. Hmm. That's awesome. So how did you get into this? So I know, was this something you pursued or was this something that like you were kind of thrust into? Okay, that's this is good because we've talked about like, so I don't tell this story a lot, but I had never been to another country um, without my parents until 
2014-ish, um, I got invited to Israel. Mm-hmm. And I had just started initiative. And I, I was around 24, 25 years old. And basically, I got an email one day. This was a couple months after starting initiative, which was at the time a gathering of hundreds of young Christians in Dallas. Um, and basically, the email said, we, uh, this person who was a friend of mine just uh, recently dropped out of our uh, fully paid for trip to Israel. Hmm. And we would love to know if you're interested in going in her place. She nominated you. Um, unfortunately, the trip does leave in three days. Uh, but if you're interested, it's 10 days, fully free. All you have to do is get to New York and mm. everything else is covered. Flight, hotels, food, experiences, all of it. And so um, <laughs> I was like, yo, one, I emailed back and said, if this is real, like, call me at this number. Because <laughs> I'm like, who, who invites someone with three-day notice to another country and says, like, this is probably like, so if it's 10 days in Israel, I mean, and I saw the hotels were staying at and the restaurants were eating at. It was nice. Like, it had been thousands and thousands of dollars. So I thought, this must, what's the catch? Yeah. I was like, first question is, is this real? Two, if it is real, what's the catch? So I wanted to um, talk to him. And I, within about 10 minutes, someone did call me. And I was like, okay, so what's up? And they, basically they said, so a lot of people dropped out of this trip because there were missiles being shot at Israel mm-hmm. um, by, out of, from Palestine. And um, it scared many of the young leaders that were going. This is our first trip we've ever done uh, with specifically young Christian leaders. And yeah, you just got nominated. And so we just wanted to check if you would be interested. Mm. And I said, let me get back to you because um, I didn't have any money at this time. Uh, I mean, I didn't have more than like 50 bucks. I was living (laughs) on someone's couch. I, um, yeah, I I didn't even have a, dude, it was so crazy. I didn't have a passport. I didn't even have a driver's license. (laughs) Like, it was just bad times. So here's the crazy story is that I um, had just met a couple weeks ago with this Jewish girl who works for this Jewish organization uh, that was telling me about everything going on in Israel and the media and just the story behind the story. And she was just saying, hey, would you get some Dallas young Christian leaders to be uh, more involved in getting educated and aware of what's going on in Israel and becoming pro-Israel? Mm-hmm. And I told her, I don't, that's not really, our mission's more to help Dallas. And I was like, as much as I'm now learning about what's going on in Israel from this one conversation with you, I don't know, it's really not in our mission statement because we're really focused on Dallas. Well, that person come, came up, I was like, maybe this person, now it's like three weeks later, maybe she'll help um, with getting me the passport or driver's license or the paying for that. Um, mm-hmm. If she really wants me to get more pro-Israel, what yeah. could get me more pro-Israel than <laughs> going to Israel for pro-Israel, with a pro-Israel organization? So I call her. And she's like, oh, I know that organization. Yes, I'll, I'll totally pay for it. And so like that, now um, my pa- she has the money at least for the flight to New York, my passport. But it, the worst was I didn't have a driver's license to even get a passport because <laughs> I had warrants for my arrest. <laughs> and I have warrants for my arrest because I got a speeding ticket that I didn't know you had to pay it within like 15 days. So it, it, a speeding ticket turned to a warrant. And it was just such a mess, dude. It was so crazy. It's a testimony that God uses very broken people. And really, I don't know, I'm immature. Like, I still need to grow up in a lot of ways. Like I said, I was 24. And um, long story somewhat short is what I did was uh, I went to, uh, there's a place that can get you a, a passport within about 24 hours mm-hmm. um, in Dallas downtown that I found. Um, and you don't need a driver's license as long as you have, like, all things that can prove that you are who you are. Yeah. So I got like, I brought these ps- signs and things like posters, anything that showed like I was speaking at an event, mm-hmm. um, think promo material for me speaking. I've as much promo material ever that I could find of when I was speaking at different events. Cause I was speaking quite a bit and, um, just little things. I mean, I think like yearbook stuff, whatever I could find. <laughs> and I bring all this stuff to this place and, the, the girl at the front desk kind of laughs. She's around my age, and she kind of laughs. She's like, the funny thing is, not, this isn't enough to like really prove your identity to p- get a passport. But she's like, but luckily, I actually know who you are because I went huh. to high school with you. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, you're good, uh, luckily, because I went to high school with you. So I'm going to let you pass. And I get a passport. Um, I end up going to Israel. And on the way there, I actually get interviewed quite a bit because... Um, they're very serious about who they let into Israel, especially if you go with El Al Airlines, which is like the traditional airlines. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've ever been to Israel, you'll see like they do a lot of interviews to just 
make sure you are safe and yeah, just it's the most uh, secure airlines in the world is their like tagline. Hmm. And so they're asking you all these questions about like who packed your bags and this and that. So they're asking me, Hey, who invited you to this trip? And I point to one of the guys and he says, how long have you known that person? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, honestly, just a couple of days. They just invited me. Well, he's like, how long have you known this group? I'm like, just again, just got to know them. They're like, well, who, um, how did you find out about this? Like someone nominated me and I was like, how much do you know that person? Well, I didn't, I had actually never physically met that person. <laughs> I just met them online. And then they're like, well, who paid for your trip? I'm like this Jewish girl in Dallas. You're like, who is that? And how long have you known them? Everything sounded so bad, even though everything was true. was like, I really didn't know. And I just had started laughing with them. I was like, I know all this sounds so bad, but I'm dead serious. It's true. Well, they pulled me into like interrogation room and for like an hour asking me all these questions. And eventually I think they realized this kid's not scared at all. He's just like laughing. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to laugh. It's just kind of like, I get why you think that yeah. I'm <laughs> lying or whatever, but everything I'm telling you is true. I just met this group. I don't know the people that paid for it. Well, I don't, yeah, it just, it worked out. It's a God thing. And that's a long way to say I had never been to another country with a group of strangers. Um, but a huge thing that came out of that is I never realized how close you become with the people that you go to a mission trip on or a vacation on. Mm -hmm. um, there's something about, especially mission trips fascinate me, is the goal is to take, let's say, five or 30 people from one country to another country to help love on, serve, and share the gospel with that country. However, inevitable goal is all five or 30 of those people, when coming back, are going to have like a unique bond that's like once in a lifetime kind of bond if they spend at least five plus days mm -hmm. in another country, there's something about leaving your culture to go to another culture, to stay the night in that area, to have a common goal to serve and think outside of yourself. Like it's not about you. Um, it's about something bigger than yourself. And uh, all that to say is I was like, man, it'd be so cool if more diverse people went because on a trip like this, because the whole trip was mostly people from the same, like, even job industry, it was mostly pol political mm -hmm. leaders. And I thought, what if, what if it was like diverse young Christians? And I mean, diverse racially, denominationally, occupationally, mm -hmm. you could really like build a network of young Christian leaders that um, have this really radical connection. And what was really cool is people so asked me like, how did you stumble into like, um, how do you get into like Israel trips? Cause I've done probably six of them now mm -hmm. and taken yeah, almost probably a hundred plus young leaders there for free. And, um, I would say I just really did stumble into it. Like, hmm. uh, and it's such a strategic move because there may not be a country or city specific Jerusalem that every Christian in the world wants to go to at least at some point in their life. Yeah. Um, it could have, if it would have been so different, it was El Salvador or South Africa or London, all those would be cool. But it's like every Christian at some point in their life wants to visit Israel. It's just yeah. wise to. And so, um, it's such a unifier and, uh, all that to say is the retreats then ended up, I had some friends who had retreats. I mean, the Israel trips ended up having friends that had retreat centers here in uh, the States who said, hey, would you ever want to get some of those people together? And kind of basically the guy who helped start Einstein Bagels and Blockbuster, I had a friend who knew him and he just let us for free use his retreat center in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And um, it's an older mentor of mine. He's 30 plus years older than me, which again, huge to have older people in your life that will vouch for you. Cause I would never know a guy like that, but my mentor does. And that guy would never just give the keys to his huge retreat center for 40 people, uh, for, for free to a young person, unless there was an older person vouching for, yeah. uh, vouching for me. And so, uh, we did two, three years ago at our first retreat, it was 40 leaders. And all I have to say is since then we've done like six retreats and it's just been incredible to see all the fruit that's come out of these international trips and these retreats for high calorie young Christian leaders. And now what I love to see is what these people do together for the kingdom. Cause when they become friends, especially when it's unlikely people that normally wouldn't ever meet, maybe it's cause of their race, maybe mm -hmm. it's because what part of the country they live in, or it could be just, they're in totally different industries. Like why would actors and actresses know nonprofit leaders and musicians and yeah. um, pastors. And so uh, now that they all know each other, just to see where God and the spirit leads them into cool like i would call kingdom collaborations whether it's even podcasts together or it could be i mean i've seen them do conferences together i've seen them do uh retreats themselves together like mm -hmm. we've had a couple asian leaders say we just want to do a retreat for young christian asian leaders from across the country 
they got about 50 to 60 Korean American Asian leaders to go to a retreat in Hawaii, which was awesome <laughs> and probably an easy sell. But yeah, the God's, God's really, there's an anointing on when you get God's people together. I mean, John 17 and John 13. John 13 is, they will know that you are my people when you love one another. And John 17 is, uh, Jesus prays five times, let us be one, let them be one, let them be one, let them be one. The fifth time he says, let them be perfectly one so that the world would see that Jesus was sent through the church. Hmm. And so I just think there's huge power when we're unified. It's not just cool for us as Christians. It's um, it's a witness to the world. Hmm. That's awesome, man. So you you kind of wear two hats in that, like, you, you speak to the older population about how to understand the younger generation and how to... I guess empower how to champion how to yeah. like not ex not exploit but how to like to use the passion that they have to pour fuel on that fire as opposed to just dumping on it all the time. Yeah. But then you also speak to the younger generation about like, hey, there is they are putting us all in a mold, but some of what they're saying is true and we need to keep our commitments and hold true to what we are. Yeah. And so, you know. Um and so starting with kind of the older generation, like what is it that what are the kind of the main points, the key points that you really try to touch on with older people about misconceptions of the younger generation and how to invest in them properly yeah that's good um one would be that we are not lazy we are more uh it's less likely that we're lazy and it's more likely that we're uninspired and i would say that in the idea that i think the older generation chased after provision and jobs and uh dreams and life that would provide a financially better life for themselves well, I have found that the next generation, and we've seen the next generation is more likely to not chase provision, but chase passion and purpose. Mm -hmm. And so we will uh, maybe sometimes even take a pay cut in our job or um, deny uh, certain benefits or lifestyle that would just be uh, financially smarter in order to pursue a dream of ours or a passion of ours. Um, and so uh, that's sometimes probably comes off to the older generation as you guys are so lazy or entitled but uh, I think we saw a lot of our parents generation and grandparents generation have midlife crises and or just pursue jobs or they always talk about how we're non-committal to our jobs always job hopping but I think uh, we saw a lot of our parents especially dads do jobs they absolutely hated for mm -hmm. years um, just because it would provide uh, food on the table and a better life and I do think we're questioning do we want to make that sacrifice especially when I mean even my parents they're in town today and yesterday uh, they, my dad's an accountant, CPA, uh, mm -hmm. and I went into ministry. He was not a big fan. He was like, this is so unwise to do that. I mean, going into ministry is literally like to be poor. <laughs> and um, he uh, never really agreed with that because, yeah, just thought it wasn't wise financially. The irony is a couple of years ago, my dad and mom sold the house we've always grown up in, left the jobs they've always known, and bought an RV, and they just travel America. Mm -hmm. And it's not like they're 90 years old. They're like... They're having a midlife crisis of like, do once we all moved out as kids, me and my younger brothers, it was kind of like, what do we want to do with our life? Mm -hmm. And the reality of it wasn't what they currently were doing. And so I think for our generation, it's wondering, do we want to work really hard so that around that age we can figure out who we want to be or do we want to figure out who we want to be and what we want to do now and start pursuing that? Even if that means on the front end, we're not going to be provided for as much as we could have if we took the jobs we disliked but got paid well. And that's not to say that being a doctor, lawyer, CPA is the only way to get money and you got to dislike it. There are some people that are designed to do that, yeah. um, and there, but there's just some that aren't. And I do think a lot of young people do things they don't want to do just because their parents are really forcing it on them and or they won't. They know that they'll make good money doing it. Uh, a second thing I see to older people is uh, a big one is I always say we don't have a millennial problem. We don't have a Gen Z problem. We have a discipleship problem mm -hmm. uh, to older generation. I'm always going to challenge them. Please disciple us. And uh, uh, I don't have enough time to go into a lot of it, but I'll usually say uh, I would ask any older generation to refrain from criticizing the next generation unless they're also discipling the next generation. Because uh, if you're not discipling the next generation, they're a part of the problem, not the solution. And it's really hard to I say, hey, I'm just going to criticize you, but I'm not going to disciple you. Yeah. Um, it'd be like a farmer saying, I'm going to get really mad at my crops for not growing, but I'm never going to water them, prune them, mm -hmm. help them grow, um, invest in them. Uh, at some point, you got to look in the mirror. And I'm not blaming everything on the older generation. I'm just saying, don't criticize us without discipling us. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're a part, if you're in the game and you're you're investing, then yeah, you have every right to hold to also hold us accountable. 
Um, but what I see is a lot of accountability, a lot of critique without a lot of um, investment these mm. days. Um, What's the pushback you usually get on that from people? Do people not like it when you say that? I think it stings, but I don't get a lot of pushback. Okay. Make, make I don't know. I don't want to yeah. say I'm right, but I feel like I am. <laughs> it's like, dude, um, I don't feel, yeah, I don't get a lot of pushback on like, you should disciple. I mean, especially from Christians. I mean, you got to just look at Christ. It's not, it's really hard to say, no, you're wrong. That's not really the solution. I mean, when God comes down and chooses of all strategies he could have chosen. I mean, he could have wrote the gospel on the sun and you see mm-hmm. it every day and it goes down at night and then wrote the second half of the gospel on the moon. Like he could have, there's so many different ways he could show up in our dreams every time we close our eyes and sleep. Like there's so many ways he could have depict his message to the world. And for whatever reason, he thought the most strategic way to impact and change the world. I mean, he could have even the 5,000. I always think we live in Dallas, Texas, or I do, where it's like thousands of conferences, thousands of churches, all these different things. I feel like in the world today, we think the best way to reach a lot of people is to throw a massive event where everyone hears this one message is going to change everything. Jesus had that with the 5,000. And he doesn't start a conference. He doesn't start um, a mega church. He actually leaves the 5,000, like mm-hmm. gets on a boat and says goodbye. Like, I actually think, man, what poor follow-up. Unless um, I look at what did he do instead. And what he did is he left the 5,000 for the 12. And so I guess what I got to look at is of all the strategies he could have chose, he chose discipleship as the strategy. And he didn't just choose discipleship and say, you guys do something else. This is what I started with. You guys take a different strategy. He said, go and make disciples. Like his last words, I think, should be our first priority. And so um, it's hard to critique the idea when I'm saying, hey, our founder did this and our founder said this. We don't have a millennial problem. We don't have a Gen Z problem. We have a, a discipleship problem. And I often will comment that if we think millennials are so bad, just wait till Gen Z comes and they aren't able to be discipled by millennials because millennials were never discipled by Gen X. And eventually uh, we got to just own it. And so my hope for our generation is uh, we can keep blaming generations before for not discipling us. Um, and they don't take all the credit for it. I mean, eventually it's, we have to own our own stuff, but that's where I get to. What if we as a generation millennials could get our stuff together so that we could disciple Gen Z so they could better disciple the generation after that. Hmm. That's so good, man. What a so you, if I remember correctly, originally you were put on a panel to talk about millennials, right? And then your heart originally was kind of like, "I'm gonna roast these guys." Yeah, and yeah. then God kind of did a change in your heart more towards that of like, "Hey, no, like call them to something. Don't just yeah. roast them for not doing something." Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, the first time I ever spoke on millennials, I was asked, ironically, same thing two days before if I speak on this panel. A lot of big things in my life happen, like. <laughs> a couple of days notice and it really is i mean a lot of a lot of life is showing up full circle <laughs> is yeah. um and i was gonna go in very convicting because at the time participation trophies was starting to become like this big thing everyone brought up and i was always pretty frustrated by that because i still a little am but I, just because i'm like how does no one do the math on that we were like five <laughs> years old six years old when we were given participation trophies i don't know how we're blamed for participation trophies and not like the parents yeah that's what i tell people it's like i've run, i've won a lot of trophies in my life and i never once chose it yeah you know like i yeah. never chose what trophy it was gonna win. yeah like i always say I, you could have given me a capri sun after a game and i wouldn't yeah, exactly. complain like how low are our standards you give i was with my brother's kids today, today i was like the kid was getting excited just if I would give him one piece of popcorn. Yeah. And so like he was like excited. So I'm just thinking you guys chose to give trophies and then you blamed us 10, 20 years later for being the recipients of the trophies you guys designed, created and organized for us. And so all that to say is um, because of that line of thinking, I was going to go in very convicting and critiquing and God convicted me to go in more humbly. And what I just shared was, um, which is true today, is I think the best, most mature, godly, humble, young leaders I know um, tend to have, uh, they have a tendency of having older mentors in their life or great parents invested in their life. And so um, I just, if that's the common denominator of great young leaders is great older mentors, then let's just make that more of a normal thing is uh, that it wouldn't be, wow, what a cool story at a young age, you had someone really older invest in you and uh, instead make that a normal thing. And 
there was actually a book called Hero with a Thousand Faces. Um, hmm. It's a very popular book for story writers. Um, George Lucas of Star Wars has heavily, heavily influenced by it and talked about how he's influenced by that book. And so is a lot of Disney movies are influenced by it. A lot of big movies and stories are influenced by this book, Hero with a Thousand Faces. And it's about how um, every story usually has a hero. It may have a thousand faces, but the story by and large is there's some young-ish person with like a dream in their heart or a vision or a passion to be different in some way um, or a gift but they can't like really find out how to utilize that gift or find their way until they like cross path with an older sage is what he calls them or mm -hmm. mentor. And that's like Luke Skywalker and Yoda. That's <laughs> like the karate kid and Mr. Miyagi. It's Moana and that, that big dude that the rock plays. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's all, it's all these like stories. If you think about how many stories have some young person, I mean, what's the, I, was, I don't know why this one's only come to mind. It's the one with the fairy princess that shows up to the, the girl with the sisters. And even, uh, I think it's Cinderella. I think it <laughs> yeah, is. I think so. <laughs> it, so Cinderella, I mean, it, it's like that mentor and sage coming in is the game changer. Yeah. And then it shifts the trajectory of the whole story. And the beauty of it, too, is it, it doesn't just change the life for the young person. It changes the life for the older person, too. Like, it benefits both people's lives but all that to say is um if that's the common denominator in every great young leader and in most great stories then let's just do that let's just choose that and lastly if it's not enough the icing on top is and jesus told us to do it <laughs> like so let's just trust that when he did it and it worked and he told us to do it and it'll work that it'll probably work hmm. so how do you find a mentor like what's your what's your advice to people that maybe are looking yeah i usually look for character or competency um when you're younger, you tend to look for competency. And what I mean by that is who's doing what I one day want to do. Um, but I found as I get older, I look for character a little more. Is not just who's doing what I want to do, but who's being who I want to be. Because um, sometimes you can find people that are doing what you want to do that are no one, nowhere near who, the kind of person you want to be. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, but those would be the two areas is like, yeah, who's doing what I one day want to be doing? Um, and then who's being what I one day kind of the person I want to become? And how do I get more time around them. Uh, they say discipleship is caught more than it's taught. Mm -hmm. And so like, how do I not just ask them to like, how do I not just listen to their messages or some pe people, most people aren't going to be mentored by speakers. And so it's just like, you don't have to have this greatly educated and uh, polished communicator. Just how do you get time around them? Like, it's not like Jesus, it doesn't seem like we're not getting an idea that uh, from the scriptures that the disciples woke up every day and Jesus had a prepared message for them. It was actually most messages weren't for them. Most of the messages were for other people. And even most of the stuff that came out, even most of the New Testament, most of the New Testament is not, uh, specifically the Gospels, it's not sermons. It's, it's a book of questions and answers. I mean, Jesus got asked over 300 questions in the New Testament, or in the Gospels. Hmm. And so um, my point is, it's not, I think sometimes we're looking for like a teacher or a speaker to train us, but the reality is the gospel and discipleship there is a lot of Jesus doing his life mm -hmm. and the disciples following and then asking questions along the way. Hmm. That's so good. So if someone's like looking for a mentor, like what would be your advice on how to pursue that? Like do you just ask them to mentor you or like? Yeah, that's good. Um, I would say this is, I don't know how controversial it is, but I believe it. I believe it and I'm going to say it is that I think dating and discipleship are kind of similar in the initial stages in the sense that um, you don't ask someone to marry you on the first date and uh, you here's a couple of things that are similar you you kind of know if you have chemistry with someone and if you don't and even if there's attraction but there's not chemistry it's not going to work or even if like so many things can work but if there's not chemistry it just it doesn't connect and so like I usually say um, yeah, look for someone that the initial stages is like, how do you get time? Even, I don't know that this isn't everybody, but often if I saw a girl that I liked, I didn't just immediately go to that girl and say, Hey, can we get some time together? One-on-one. -on -one? Mm -hmm. I'd usually just try to find more arenas of life where I could be around them, gotcha. um, in groups. And so we get to still connect. Um, and then once I feel like we had the chemistry, we had a connection, it would be 
it wouldn't be weird. I'd ask them, Hey, can we hang out one-on-one? And so for me, I tend to be like, how do I get around this person? And for me as a Christian with mentors specifically, I'm like, who do am I naturally starting to cross paths with anyway? Then how can I get a one-on-one? Like with Raymond, that was like the one-on-one meeting. And if there's, then I'm even more chemistry then I can tell, okay, third, now let me see if I can like get some time with them by joining their life. Because um, again, they're busy. I'm trying to find a way. One of the guys I asked to mentor me, and again, going back to dating, with confidence, I asked them to mentor or disciple me uh, because I, it's awkward to ask a girl out if you're not sure if they'll say yes. Mm-hmm. But I've got to believe that it's even more awkward to get asked out by a guy that's awkwardly asking you out and then you don't even know if you want to go so then you awkwardly have to tell him no but in a nice way that's awkward yeah no one wants to be in that position no one that's getting asked or asking wants to be in that position and so confidently asking um i told the guy and it's really weird i mean for guys we're asking another guy to like have a certain type of relationship with us basically Mm -hmm. it is kind of putting it out there like i've been denied by two guys early on in my christian life uh when i became a new believer and I remember feeling rejected like I felt by a girl. Like yeah. it is, I, I don't want to take it too far, the analogy, but there's some similarities to it of putting yourself out there. And so um, all that to say is I remember asking him, his name was Gary. Hey, uh, it was on a trip back from Israel and we really connected. And I just said, hey, when we get back, I'd love to learn from you, uh, especially because you're a pastor and I'm in the nonprofit world. And sometimes the nonprofit world can like really diss on the church for not being the hands and feet as much as, they wish the church would be. And so um, I'd love to learn more about what it's like to be in the shoes in the life of a pastor, Um, as well as I just, yeah, I'd love to follow you. I mean, we have connected a lot. And I told him, one, I always try to say, I want to show them momentum in my life of what is God doing. And so give them a list, like here are a couple things God has put on my plate right now. So they see I'm not just taking some young person and trying to make them a leader. I want to show them, actually, I already have, I am a leader and God is already doing something but if you joined, God would do even more. Hmm. Um, that is important to me because I say uh, mentors don't want to start fires. They more want to put gasoline on a fire. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really uh, smart to give them some momentum in your life that God has so they can see, okay, this kid's already got something going. What if I add gasoline to that fire? Two, I told him, I'm actually not asking for a weekly meeting or even a monthly meeting. I'm just saying, can I come with you every now and then? Like if you're speaking somewhere, or if there's a strategic meeting uh, that I can be invited to, I'll be a fly on the wall. I won't say anything. All I'll do is help, especially if it's speaking. I'll drive you there. I'll carry your books. I'll sell your books afterwards. I'll do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, yeah, sounds great. Yeah, you'll just, you'll, you're not going to get in my way. I already like being around you, so it's not going to be awkward yeah. if you're just uh, there. And you're going to help relieve uh, some of the workload uh, by driving or selling books or whatever it may be. And so... Um, how do you find a way to relieve uh, their burden, not be another one more additional burden yeah. um, to their calendar and to their time and to their uh, emotional energy? Hmm. So what are some helpful things that you've seen your mentors do, uh, maybe for the older population that listens of like someone who would assume the role as a mentor? Uh, what are some of the most helpful things you've seen from the mentors in your life uh, that would maybe uh, help an older person or the older generation take that step into mentorship if they're not currently in it uh what have they done i think vulnerability has been helpful i mean there's john maxwell said that uh if you want to impress people share your successes but if you want to impact people share your failures Mm -hmm. and um, i found that a couple of my mentors have actually started to become very vulnerable with just their marriage their life their work uh with their approach to work Um, where I feel like they're even trusting me to encourage them as much as Mm. I trust them to encourage me. Uh, I think that um, maybe just recognizing that there may be a level of you being like a father figure or a mother figure to young people, especially with the lack of father and mother figures, uh, spiritual, especially spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers in young people's life, um, that that's such, there can be so much healing there. Um, it's not a burden to be felt that you have to change and help and relieve all that. Um, but knowing it's a blessing that you could be utilized as someone to bring healing there. Um, let's see another thing that they've done. Uh, I think asking hard questions. I, I don't think young people ask hard questions of other young people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that older people are better at it and maybe have 
uh, sometimes, yeah, younger people feel more okay with, I don't know. Yeah. Just I've, I've noticed some of the older people ask me better questions that I'm like, Hey, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, mm-hmm. cause even if, even if there's nothing today, it made me think about like, how am I preparing for that or thinking about that or whatever? Um, yeah. And then saying hard things, even like asking hard questions and saying hard things. Uh, if a young person my age says something to me, it's going to be different than if an older person says the exact same thing to me. I'm gonna be like, okay, I'm going to listen to them. Uh, yeah. just a, there's a power in your words. And so, uh, sometimes older people can, uh, have a tendency to want to just be like one of the friends to the young person, but also know there's so much power in saying the hard things that, uh, they may not hear from nine out of 10 of the young friends they have, but they would hear from you. Hmm. That's good. Would you agree that like, so my strongest mentor in my life is my dad. Um, cool. and one of the things that I tell people is, um, he gave me the space to grow in wisdom. So like he, he gave me opportunity to impact him. He gave me opportunity to be wise in my own right uh-huh. through the pursuit of like biblical scripture and knowledge and the things that I was doing. Would you say that that's a common thread for, for you that being an articulate, intelligent guy who, who is speaking and doing all these things, um, that your mentors aren't just like iron fisting over you as much as they're, they're giving you space to grow. They're mm-hmm. calling out the like, Hey, actually that's inconsistent and that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but would you say that's something that's consistent with what you've seen? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, they're not, they're not all speakers, especially my current guy. Um, I, I think again, the guys that are been the best for me, they do have a tendency to ask just the right questions, yeah. the questions that no one else is asking. And that might just be perspective of, these guys know what's down the road. And mm-hmm. so they already know like, Hey, how are you? Like if I had a guy that's asking me, Hey, how do you become a speaker? Or how do you become, how do you write a book? I know I could answer some of those questions of how to write a book, but I'd also start asking them questions about their heart and their mind. Because I know once you have this book done, there's going to be other things that are going to be attacked when it comes to like your security and, or like motive. Why are you writing this book? Like, mm-hmm. do you have the right reasons? Cause if you don't have the right reasons, gonna be hard to push through writing this book because it's not as easy as it looks it takes so much like it takes about two years to get a book out hmm. just the proposal the the getting a publisher getting an agent then getting a publisher then going through a year of editing then i mean writing then editing all this different stuff is like if you're doing it just because like you saw other people your age doing it or whatever or you had a kind of good idea and it, you think it should be a book but it should probably actually be a blog um then yeah it i i think because I'm several steps ahead, I'll know the right questions to ask. Uh, I think that's where older leaders, they, they know what's down the road and they know the right questions to ask. Um, and yeah, if you don't have a young, an older person in your life, it's, you're just kind of experiencing that you're hitting walls that have already been hit by other people. Hmm. Um, and you're not, I like to live vicariously through other people in the sense of, I know that we all can learn from our failures, but I like learning from other people's failures more. And so I was like, how do I ask them? so that I don't have to experience the pain, the wasted time or the suffering or the consequences of certain decisions just because of ignorance. I get to live vicariously through the lessons learned of other older leaders that have gone before me. Hmm. That's so good, man. So what, let's talk about the book, right? So when did you, what was the the publishing date of the Passion Generation? Uh, It was, so the book came out in November of 20, I think 19. I think you're right. Was it 2018 or 2019? No, it was 2018. It must have been. Yeah, 2018. Okay. Because I remember the first time I saw it, Lauren Chandler had posted about it. Yeah, um, yeah. So so what's the heart behind that? Um, why did you write it? Had you always wanted to write a book, or was it something you were approached to do? Or Yeah, I got approached uh, a little bit after that Israel trip, actually. So when I was like 24, 25 years old, I got approached to write a book. And um, I'm so thankful that I said no at that time because I had just started developing uh, – my message at all and even a becoming a voice on the next generation to older leaders um and so i felt like i still need some reps uh this is a weird analogy but there was a i don't know if you ever watched the movie by denzel washington called fences i Mm -hmm. think he directed it and he acted in it but fences is based off a broadway show um and they had done this show brought uh 57 times sorry, on Broadway before they ever made the movie. And it's really set in the backyard, the whole movie. And so there's only a handful of movies you can think of that are like one room the whole time. Hmm. Um, Phone Booth with Colin Farrell. 
uh, saw, which is a weird one, but it, the first <laughs> one's like in that one little yeah. bathroom the whole time. There's only, I mean, the acting you have to have, uh, there's the man on the ledge. That's a pretty good movie, but even that has some scenes outside of the, mm-hmm. uh, being on the, the man on the ledge. Um, but you gotta have like great dialogue. If it's like, we're going to be in one room, the whole movie mm-hmm. for an hour and a half. And to get people to come and watch that, it's got to have some great storytelling, great dialogue. And this Fences movie does, um, but they're so good at the dialogue and at the communication. And it's because Denzel Washington said it was so easy for us because it's the exact same actors um, are the exact same people that did the Broadway show 57 times Mm -hmm. in front of people. And so he said it wasn't that hard for us to come in and just already know, hey, this way, when I say it this way, this after 57 times, this is the best way. Um, to say it and it gets the best response from the people now I'm just doing it without an audience and doing it knowing there's a camera but I've already experienced people's reaction in real life most movies have zero idea they've never gotten to perform it in front of live audiences Hmm. and then make a movie and so for me um, that was a big part of like writing the book was I wanted to get a lot of experience speaking on the book before they knew it was going to become a book and so I really tested a lot of the way I said things and what I said or what I covered and paid attention to the questions I got asked so that once I wrote the book, the, a big part of the process was uh, these are the main things I feel like I get asked about. These are the main things people care about. These are the main pushbacks I usually get. Um, yeah, and these are the main like breakthroughs I've, I've seen and then tried to turn that into a book. And it's crazy to see, um, yeah, a big part of it, any downs, um, she pushed me finally because I, for two, three years, still didn't write the book. I just knew. And she, ironically, so full circle, we were in, Is- <laughs> we were in Israel and she was one of the young leaders invited. And she just kind of pushed me and said, if you're telling me that you basically know what you want to write, you've been sharing on it a lot and you've seen it be very, very helpful to people. It's almost messed up or disobedient for you not to go ahead and just write the book. And a big part of this is I struggle with writing. Even right mm-hmm. now, there's a book. I met last week with um, a writer and I've met with publishers about writing and I've just told him, I just, I, it's so hard for me to write. I don't mm-hmm. know why. I just don't like sitting down and writing. I mm-hmm. speak. I don't write well. And um, she just kind of said, you need to like just get over that and yeah. just push through it and make it happen. And her big point was there are people that will read your book that will never, ever hear you speak. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be able to impact people when you're like asleep yeah. and when you write a book because they'll be reading it and yeah and it's so true it's like there could be i could be i could like heaven forbid be in like this big accident and still people would hear yeah. or read the book and so um even a big testimony right now is like indonesia india for whatever reason god has gotten so many people that read my book in those hmm. countries um and yeah i've never been to either of those countries huh. and so uh she's been very true in that yeah people can be impacted by the book uh from afar without ever knowing who you are or hearing you speak. And so, um, yeah, it's been quite a process. And that's not new, right? Cause you don't really even write out when you speak. You're kind of a, yeah. like a, you bring an index card up there and just go yeah, to town. Yeah. Very little notes. Hmm. So what is that like? Like, how did you develop that? Um, cause I think <laughs> it's the other way. Usually, usually people like write their whole transcript and talk through it. And then once they get comfortable, they start to do more keyword stuff. Yeah, dude, that's good. That's maybe one of the most passionate things I am a passionate about is speaking is uh, in the, the art of it. I personally think that, especially when you're young, uh, there's so many things. Okay, so why did, what's the, the story behind note card? One, most people get nervous when they're young when, before they speak. And a lot of people still get nervous before they speak. And in my opinion, you only get nervous if you're caring about the wrong thing rarely are you nervous because you're caring about the right thing um and what i mean is we tend to get nervous because we're like dang i don't know if i'm ready to do this or i don't know if they're going to receive it well or man if you're speaking at a conference like the person that just spoke before me killed it and now Mm -hmm. i have to follow up after that or like oh i gotta do this and these people are in the crowd and i really want them to hear this and uh (laughs) like and it's my girlfriend or my wife and her parents or my boss or several of my friends like we're always thinking about all these things that have zero to like the thing I'm not hearing usually when people are nervous is, man, I really feel like God has put something on my heart to share with them. And I think that I might get in the way of delivering it. Rarely is it that it's almost always like nervousness because I don't know if people will see me the way I want them to see me. It has nothing to do with why you're getting <laughs> asked to speak. It's all about you. 
And so nervousness is, tends to be tied to selfishness, um, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, when speaking. And so uh, this, that was one is like, that's just such a hurdle to get over that is like when you start to speak to help, you're truly like, man, I'm so lucky to get this opportunity to do this. And how do I really perceive this as a way to help? For me, a, a trick I have is um, one of my younger brother, youngest brothers, for a long time wasn't a believer. And I would always picture him in the crowd is hmm. what if Luke was in the back seat, uh, back uh, row of the of this crowd, and he walked in last second, found out I was speaking, showed up, I saw him come in, and I knew this was the very last time he'll ever hear a Christian speak about God or anything hmm. about God. Um, how would I preach it then? And if it all of a sudden, if my questions and fears were about like, oh, these people might see this, or did I prepare enough, or I'll make sure I get all my quotes right, or whatever, the flow, or should I cut this? If I knew he was there, I would be like, I don't even, I'd be like, I don't even need notes. I would yeah. just be like, look, a lot of you, I could like speak directly to him and know it would connect with everybody else. Um, and it would be so authentic and so mm-hmm. real and so raw. Um, so that's always kind of helped purify my motives because now all of a sudden it's zero to do about me. Mm-hmm. It's all about, I want this kid to know God. Mm-hmm. Um, that should be the reason we speak at any, the motive we, when we speak at any event. Two, um, so what I found, and I don't encourage this for most people, is um, I, yeah, I just do better without notes. I do have images and I do have slides sometimes, so that does help a lot. But um, I noticed the more I wrote down all my notes, a couple of things. One, I couldn't even keep up with all my notes. Like, <laughs> I don't know how, I've seen like Tim Keller's notes or other people's notes. And like, I don't know how these dudes are like basically manuscript their entire sermon and don't get lost. Like, yeah. it just, I, if I even have a page with too many notes, I got to have just very, very little. Um, or I, I basically is irrelevant why I even did all those notes because mm-hmm. I'll not <laughs> be able to find my place anymore. Two, the more notes I take and write down, the more I f- am going to be measuring if I'm doing it right or wrong because mm-hmm. I have an idea of like, oh, I missed that or I missed this or I said this. If you have no notes, you have no <laughs> reference point. It's like just, I don't have a like, did I miss that? I didn't even know what I was going to say. Like yeah. for sure what I was going to say. So what I do do is I usually have a start and a finish. A lot of people are common saying is you need to know how you're going to like take the pl- take off and mm-hmm. uh, land the plane because and the joke is, which is serious, is apparently a lot of plane crashes happen in the takeoff and the landing, not mm-hmm. in the in-between. And so those are the two areas I'm a little more intentional. And I usually know it's going to be a story in the beginning and it's going to be a story at the end. And so I just need to know what's going to be my intro story that connects with the audience and what's going to be my outro story that just reminds the audience that everything I just said, uh, with a hopeful way is, is true. Hmm. That's so cool, man. And so just, we're kind of landing the plane here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, what's something God's just teaching you right now? Like as you're, I think it's easy to look at someone like you who's out speaking and doing and moving and shaking in the uh, Christian industry and taking trips to Israel. And like, um, it's easy to be like, man, he's got to figure it out, but, uh, you're still a student of the game very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and have, have a, a depth of understanding that, uh, there is no finish line yeah. until death. And so like, what's something that you feel like God's really kind of racked your heart for? Uh, I mean, all those things are funny cause I do feel like I do a lot of great things and they're cool and all that. But, uh, the biggest thing God is teaching me right now is, is how to be a follower more than a leader. Hmm. Um, cause I focused maybe all of my twenties on how to be a leader because I think that's kind of what we tell Christians to be if they want to excel. Uh, but you just, I mean, how many books are there on Christian leadership and how many books are there on Christian followership? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jesus called us to be a follower of him. And so uh, when I was a younger Christian, I was so much better at being a follower because I didn't have, I never saw myself as a leader. I just mm. saw myself as a trying to be the best follower of the best leader being Jesus. And then maybe the last five years, I actually have been told so much that I'm a leader that I've tried to become more of a leader. Mm. And so um, the irony is I'm trying to unlearn how to be borderline, I would say, entitled to this title of being a leader and more, how do I just be like a really, really good childlike follower? Um, and that's going to be way better than me because uh, I do like being a leader and leading different things, but um, and then I don't even want to say it's overrated. I just think it is possible to be a leader and to miss out on some of the benefits of being a follower. And there's a lot more pressure when you're a leader. I think there's a lot of pressure that us Christians are taking on from trying to be a leader when um, 
if we actually let Jesus be the leader of our organizations or our lives or our businesses or our dreams or whatever, um, then I wouldn't treat God, it is me being very honest, I wouldn't mm-hmm. treat God as, I noticed it lately, I sometimes treat God like he's a contracted consultant for my organization <laughs> and less like he actually is the leader of my organization. And the proof is um, when I run into problems that I'm finally hit a wall and like I can't creatively solve, um, then I'll pray, God, can you help me get here or do this or fix this? And if I wasn't a Christian, that person would just be a consultant. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, we're running into a problem. We need some consultants on this problem. Mm-hmm. Rather than if I truly was the follower and he was the leader, um, I wouldn't feel the pressure. I'd be like, hey, I need to help you because you're the CEO and this mm-hmm. is actually your problem. Um, and I'm I'm committed to the, the vision and the brand and the organization or whatever it is. And so I'm here to do whatever you're telling me to do. Very different approach. Mm-hmm. And so, so um, I often feel the pressure of the CEO or the leader because I've try to be the leader rather yeah. than the follower and it's a hard thing it's like how do you how do you start something physically when god spiritually called you to do it um but it's not actually yours it's his but you are the one focusing every day on it um but it's still his it's it is a it's yeah, a dude. it's a balance but uh there are unnecessary pressures we put on our lives from trying to be a leader i think and so um yeah trying to be more of a follower hmm. So good, man. So if people want to read the book, they want to find you, mm-hmm. um, just hear more from you in general, where can they do that? Yeah, the book is on Amazon and it's called The Passion Generation. Uh, and then anything tied to me, luckily my dad is South African and he has a name I've just never literally seen anyone ever in my life have. It's Grant Skeldon, uh, <laughs> S-K-E-L-D-O-N, not T-O-N. And so um, I, my Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, it's all just at Grant Skeldon. Cool. Heck yeah, man. Well, hey, thank you, dude. Really honestly encouraged by it. Um, I think it's cool that that God kind of orchestrated our past in kind of an interesting way last year. Um, But I hope we'll get to do a trip or a conference or something together, uh, a retreat at some point. So When people gather again. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, brother. All right. See you. Hey, friends. I hope that was helpful. Uh, I hope that was encouraging. I hope you're just encouraged by some of the stuff that Grant is doing, uh, the way that he faithfully follows God and takes steps as God calls him to do so. and just the way he walks by faith. I know I'm encouraged by Grant. I love what he's doing. So grateful for him in my life. Uh, I hope, really hope, like I said at the end, that we get to connect some more and do some more things together. But hey, guys, don't forget to go check out New Ethics Formulations. We're just so encouraged by them, like I said, and the way they do things, the way that they operate. You can use the code KNOWN for 15% off of all their supplements at their website, newethics.com. Go and check out Grant on his social media. Go and check out the Initiative Network um, and just all that he's doing with uh, what God has given him, the platform that God has, has given him and the people that God's put around him and how he stewards those relationships. Just such an amazing guy and all that he's doing. So go check him out. Go be encouraged by him. Hey, we're grateful for you guys. If you'd like to leave a rating and review it would help us immensely uh but yeah guys let me just pray out lord i just pray that uh you'll just continue to be with the people that are listening this lord whatever they're going through whatever they're walking through i pray that you would just help them lord i pray that you would give a conviction to people to disciple lord whether they're an older individual who needs to reach down disciple or a younger individual in truth or a, a younger individual who might need some guidance and wisdom in life i pray that you would just open doors that people would um that people would have a specific person come to mind that they may be able to reach out to to send a text message to to send a call to whatever that may be lord i pray that you will do that i pray that you will get glory out of us lord and that you are, your name will be honored among the whole world Lord, I'm grateful for all these individuals that are listening and just so thankful that you've given us a platform to spread truth and to speak words of truth and love on. So, Lord, we're thankful for you. We're grateful for you. And just pray all these people have a great day in your name. In your name we pray. Amen.